Requesting connection. Established. Encrypted. We're live. The show you've been asking for. Advice, technology, and community. Linux first, all others second. This is Ask Noah. Live from Multispeed Technologies, the Ask Noah show starts right now. This is the show where we came to do all the things on Linux they said couldn't be done and take your questions on how to do the same. The phone lines are open this hour to be a part of the program. It's a free call, 1-855-450-NOAH. That's 1-855-450-6624 or send an email to live at asknoahshow.com. My name is Noah Chalai, I am your host. Delighted to be here with you this hour is another episode of the Ask Noah Show kicks off this hour. James starts us off from Idaho. Hey, James, welcome to the Ask Noah Show. Hey, Noah, this is just a question because the net is all over the place on the, on the argument, and you've installed more systems than most people ever will. Um, is there any benefits between swap partition versus swap file? Uh, yes and no. Uh, I guess, what is your specific use case? My average use, home use, with, with uh, I use a lot of hibernate and suspend functions depending upon what I need to you know, turn it off for or not off, you know what I mean, to the side for. So the, 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 and, the, the, uh, short, the short one-hour radio show, uh, two-minute phone call answer is that if you can, get that swap partition, get that swap space into a partition rather than just a file. Now, here's where you wouldn't want to do that. If you're really tight on disk space to begin with, putting it as a file obviously makes it much easier for you to reorganize later down the road. But a lot of people, James, they have this myth that they perpetuate. And the myth is that if you have enough RAM, then you don't need swap space. And that is just simply not true. And the reason that it's not true is because when your kernel runs out of memory, it has one of two choices. It either swaps some of those processes out into swap space or it panics. Those are its only two options. And so if you want a reliable system, we always want to have some space that's not in memory that we can use as kind of a buffer or a backup zone. I knew that part. I just didn't know if there was any benefits between one the old school way or the new school way. <laughs> yeah, I mean, we've gotten to a point where obviously it we we've gotten to a point where we can do these things as a file, and there's no real downside to doing that, except for obviously if you ever have any sort of problems on your on your file system, you're also going to run into an issue with things that are believed to be running inside of RAM. And so if I can, I'm going to try to get that into a separate partition just because it's a little cleaner that way, because that's the way I would prefer to do it. Again, one 450 noah That's 855-450-6624. James calls from Grand Forks. Hey, James, welcome to the Ask Noah Show. Hey, Noah, good to talk to you again. Hey, I, uh, I'm wondering if you can give me some suggestions on a, uh, a desktop publisher. I'm in the uh, in a club here, local club, and I'm trying to make some uh, uh, like help guides for member sign up. And currently, I'm using LibreOffice, but it's giving me all sorts of headaches. Absolutely. I'm wondering if there's something better I can be using. Yeah. So the go-to open source application that you'd probably want to take a look at for uh, as a replacement for for publisher would be something called Scribus. Now, Scribus is specifically designed to do those kinds of things, create brochures, create publications. Um, it's a very, very powerful uh, desktop publishing software, 
and uh, it's something I would definitely suggest to take a look at. We use all the time at AltaSpeed. I've also kind of cut the corners sometimes because my mind works very visually. Sometimes if I need, if I want to create like a flyer or a brochure, we have package deals that we run at AltaSpeed Technologies. And sometimes the way I'll go about doing that, James, is I'll actually open up a program called Inkscape and I will lay out my my paper, my paper size, and then I'll almost design it almost like a piece of artwork. And then I'll export that out as to a PNG and hand it to our printer people. And then they will run it through their fancy printer things. And of course, anytime you're printing something, you want to leave a little bit of a bleed at the end so that they can cut the, the uh, paper and it will come out very neatly. But Scribus is probably the the go-to application that you're looking for. Can I ask what the name of your club is and uh, and 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 what it's about? Uh, if you don't want to, that's fine. Yeah, no, that's fine. Completely understand. So uh, take a look at Scribus. And um, the other thing that you can do, James, is uh, if you're looking for, let's say you're going to do a brochure. One of the things that you can do is you can go online and find templates um, for, uh, sometimes they come in Word, sometimes they're Excel, sometimes they're Microsoft Publisher, but you can find templates that somebody has already designed and then you can just swap out key pieces of information, swap out the title, swap out some of the graphic um, assets and that will allow you to produce a, a really cool uh, a, a really cool piece without having to go through the hassle of designing it from scratch okay perfect awesome thanks for the call James again one 450 noah that's 855-450-6624 you too can add your voice to the conversation and uh, be a part of the program Chaz calls from New York hey Chaz welcome to the Ask Noah show hey Noah how you doing tonight excellent how are you doing well, I'm not at Shot Show, so I figured I'd take my mind off that heartbreak by talking Linux with you. Are you are you really are you really at Shot Show? No, I'm not at Shot Show. Oh, okay, I'm taking my mind off that fact. I see. Okay, yeah, I'm depressed about it too. I was one of these years. I am going to make it. Same here. Do a, do a live show from Shot Show. How about that, dude? I would totally. Part of the issue that I worry about is uh, I. It's it's a weird balance. Like they'll tell you anytime you work in broadcast that you have to balance. Uh, you don't want to be a one-trick pony, and so you don't. I, if I came on here and all I ever talked about was Linux, 110% of the time, every statistical piece of information that we have says that you that listeners would get tired of hearing that. At the same time, you don't want to become so unfocused that people don't know what they're getting when they're tuned into, and so it's a weird balance to say, "Hey, I'm into ham radio, and that kind of has a tie to open source." We'll kind of throw that in there, or get a couple of cool life stories in there without totally derailing the show. And I'm afraid if I did Shot Show, what I would end up doing is like a four-hour-a-day broadcast for the entire week of SHOT Show, and that's all we would talk about, and I would drive half the audience away. Sounds about right. Anyway, now that I've successfully derailed the show... Right, um, yes. When, uh, when I started with Linux, it seemed like the Mint project was really highly recommended, and it had a lot of uh, excitement behind it, and it doesn't seem like that's the case anymore. Um, I think... I've noticed that, uh, personally, Ubuntu started picking up the slack that Mint initially had, like the pre-installed codecs and things like that nature. And I know they had a security issue, but I guess I'm wondering if you saw the same project, what exactly you think uh, contributed to it, and what stops the Mint project from becoming something along the lines of Ubuntu Cinnamon, for lack of a better term, I guess. Yeah, I, I so I that's a man that's a loaded question. So I'll start with this. Why do I think that this changed a little bit? I think what changed was the fact that people have gone 
they started in the in the corner of choice is a really great thing and we want a bunch of choices. And I think what that led to is a lot of fragmentation in the Linux community. And I think what happened then after that is there was a core group of people that said, listen, we just need to be able to get our work done. We just need to be able to use the thing. And right now we've got 59 different flavors and, and we still are lacking Steam on Linux. And I think about that time, there's a bunch of the, the big players, Canonical and Red Hat, started to come together and said, listen, we kind of need to standardize around a couple of technologies. And so you saw everybody go to System D. You saw almost everybody, if not all the major players, go over to the GNOME desktop. And now you're watching things kind of center on, on standard packaging, and I'm not sure where that's exactly going to play out. I personally think it's probably going to land in the realm of uh, snap packages. But as we're kind of watching those things take place, I think what's happened is all of these other competing distros, things like Linux Mint, I think they have tend to fall away just a little bit. And then I legitimately believe that better competition has come along. So all of the customers and all of the instances where I used to use Linux Mint, I have now replaced that with Ubuntu Mate. And the reason for that is partly because of my personal relationship with Martin Wimpress, because I know where he's coming from. I have a huge respect for his commitment to open source and his commitment to the end user. I also understand the de design philosophy if he essentially designed that distro from the ground up to be the answer for the grandmas and the mothers and the friends and the relatives of the nerds. And so given all of those things, I think that Ubuntu Mate is a better choice. Then you combine that with some of the stuff that I don't ever really want to get into on the air, but some of the security concerns that I have with Linux Mint, um, I think all of those collectively come together to kind of shift away. Uh, does that does that give you kind of an idea of, does that kind of answer your question? Yeah, definitely within the confines of a two-minute radio call, it does. Okay. Um, I, you know, I, th I think... Uh, I think I think what you're going to see is I think you're going to see some of that come back. We're going to talk about a story a little bit later in the hour about Google's efforts to let every one of their Chromebook users choose a Linux distro of their choice. And I think as companies start to do things like that, I think what you're going to see is companies like Amazon say our needs are very different and very specific as opposed to the needs of Google are different and very specific as the needs of Red Hat are very different and specific as, uh, as opposed to the needs of eBay, so on and so forth. And what you're going to find is each one of those organizations are going to center around a distribution that works well for them. And it may not be one of the big two or big three. It may not be the desktop environment that we're all familiar with, right? Google, for example, they've centered around Cinnamon Desktop. You know, and there's not a lot of companies that have done that. Most of them are either on GNOME, some of them are using KDE, and a whole heck of a lot of them are using XFCE, as I'm finding out. And so to find a, to find Google, which is by no means a small player in the computing world, to see that they're centering on Cinnamon, I mean, that speaks volumes, right? And it also speaks volumes on the future of something like uh, Linux Mint. So Yeah, definitely know where you're coming from there. So that's my thoughts, and I, I do appreciate the call, and I appreciate the, the continued support of the Ask Noah program, but I, what we'll have to do is we'll just have to sit it out and wait. We're at, a, we're at an impasse right now. Maybe impasse is the wrong word. We're at a juncture where technology is about to, I think, is going to change big time. You are watching users flee the desktop environment. I know so many people, even some people that work here at AltaSpeed Technologies. Now, they're not working out in the field doing technician work, obviously. But some of the administrative staff that work for me, we just had a team meeting and uh, and I sat down. We were discussing how things work. And one of the things that I became painfully somewhat aware of 
is that a lot of people that work here in the administrative part are not using physical computers. They prefer to do their work on their smartphone and on their tablet. That creates an interesting environment for us in Geekland. That creates an interesting environment for us who are trying to push a desktop operating system and, quite frankly, don't have a hugely competitive mobile operating system that can compete with the likes of iOS and Android. I'm not saying that we're not in that space at all, and I'm not saying that there isn't a a very um, established user base for things like Ubuntu Touch. But I am saying that your average Joe on the street, that today, Ubuntu Touch is not for them. A month from now, Ubuntu Touch probably won't be for them. Now, we're going to see where Samsung takes things like project, like the Dex project, and maybe that gets us to a place where we have desktop Linux has reinvented itself on a, in a mobile sphere. Maybe we get to a place where Google starts to back Chromebooks and people start to look up and go, you know what, I, I can use a tablet, I could use a smartphone, but re to really get the amount of horsepower and work that I need to be able to get out of that device, I need to pair it with a pointing device like a mouse and a physical keyboard. And if I've gone that road, I would rather just spend two, $300 on a Chromebook. If that ships with a desktop Linux operating system and they have the things like local storage and we get something like our first call or second caller today where he starts asking about how do I do desktop publishing and now that becomes an option on a two or $300 piece of hardware powered by open source. Maybe that changes this discussion a little bit. But today, I don't know that we, I don't know that anybody can predict where we're going to be five years from now. But I really believe that we are at a place where our decisions today are greatly going to impact our ability to claim prevalence on the desktop environment tomorrow. And I think that starts with people like you who are sitting there trying to learn more about this operating system that we kind of center around, trying to learn more about that technology. Interestingly enough, I had an experience this week that I wanted to share with you about desktop Linux. I truly believe that it doesn't really matter or it is not indicative of much when you have very passionate Linux people that are doing very cool things with Linux. It means something to us other geeks because we go, oh, look what you did with the Raspberry Pi. I would like to do something with the Raspberry Pi too and now I've learned from you. It's valuable in that respect. It's not valuable from the, from the aspect of, oh, that is changing the market dynamics because those people don't represent the market dynamics because they were, they were already predisposed to use an open source or Linux solution. So where I really see some value, where I really see change, where I really see something that is indicative of market change or industry change, it is when somebody who is not predisposed to open source or Linux decides that they are going to choose open source and Linux. And that happened to me this week. Some of you know I have another job at a radio station and I do talk radio. And I'm becoming more and more involved with that organization, KNOX and Latent Broadcasting, and I'm having an absolute blast. And my boss came up to me and he said, listen, here's what we'd like to do. We would like to go out to a sporting game and we would like to broadcast as a, essentially as a TV station because our local TV affiliate has left town. And so Grand Forks, North Dakota no longer has a TV station. Layton Broadcasting is one of the largest broadcasting organizations in this area. And so they saw the essentially an entry in the market and said, we want to fill that need because there is a viewer base, a listener base out there 
that would like to take advantage of that and would like to watch these these local sporting games. Now, I don't know anything about sports, like nothing. I I look at a, a sporting event and I just hope that the team that we like gets the object to the other end of the court that they are playing at because that's the extent of my knowledge of sports. Do you know what I do know? I do know broadcasting and I do know Linux. And so I said to him, I said, I know exactly what technology you need to use to be able to facilitate this TV style quality broadcast. He says, listen, I don't really care about the technology. I just want you to make it work. So go out, put something together and let's go ahead and do this event. So with about three days notice, we put together a Ubuntu 18.04 machine running OBS, brought some camera shots into it, compiled the shots inside of OBS, had a community member, Justin Campbell, created some overlays for us, and we went and did a, an event. And when we got out on site and I set the device up and we started to look at it, my boss looked at me and he, he saw what the overlay was and he goes, that's what's going to go out over the internet? And I said, yeah. And he looks at me and says, man, this looks like a professional TV broadcast. I mean, I thought we were going to have a little webcam and we're going to send it over Facebook Live. And you're, you're telling me that we have the ability to send this to our site with our graphics. We have our transition with our logos. And all of this stuff is being done. How many tens of thousands of dollars did this stuff cost? I said, yeah, it didn't cost anything. Turns out there's a whole community of people that put all of this technology together for you and is going to allow you to use it at no additional cost to you. And that blew his mind. I mean, absolutely blew his mind. So we went ahead and did the broadcast. And if there's anything that I have learned uh, in my short stint of working with large production, large media companies is they have very, very little tolerance for error. They don't care why. It, it can be the most justified reason in the world of why something didn't go off, why a broadcast didn't happen, why a broadcast was late, why a given element of a broadcast wasn't present. There's a number of different reasons of why that can happen. But what you find is that they have very little tolerance for the why. All they want to know is, did it happen? And if not, you've screwed up, you failed. And so now we can't, now we failed. And, uh, but we didn't. It went off without a hitch. It went out. It went off fantastically. In fact, it worked better than we could have ever imagined. Myself included, because I'm used to having a couple of problems. I'm used to having a couple of hiccups along the way. But you know what's happened since the last time that I've gone out to do a remote broadcast where we've done it on site till till now, the team at Open Broadcaster has done a fantastic job of refining stuff and getting things down to almost perfection, and the ability to bring in dynamic elements like uh, pre-recorded videos and uh, pre-recorded elements and to bring all of those in and do stream splicing and all th those kinds of technologies. All of those things make it so much easier to be able to deliver a quality product. And again, these are people that have absolutely no idea what we were using. I mean, to this day, I bet you if you walked into his office and said, yeah, so what was the operating system in software suite that uh, we, you used? He wouldn't have any idea. And he doesn't care. He just knows that we were able to do what had previously taken a television company to do. And now we are able, as a radio station, now we're able to compete in that level. And the reason that we're able to do that is because of the community. Now, this coming week, we're going to try uh, something a little bit more complex. We're going to try a multi-camera shoot. We're going to have dedicated camera operators. We're probably going to have some... Um,
increased audio complexity because we're going to try and bring some of that stuff in over IP and send it out over IP and do some different transcoding things. But I think it's going to work. And the radio station has already begun discussions about actually purchasing equipment to do this. And what it tells me is I didn't approach them with this idea of, hey, there's this particular software platform that I'm very passionate about and that I've had a lot of uh, experience with and that I've seen do some amazing things. That was never my motivation. I was just sitting at my desk doing my thing when my boss asked me, hey, can we can we accomplish this task? And something that would have taken tens of thousands of dollars previously to do, we're now able to do it on practically no budget at all. And I think that is really, really important. And it's a great lesson for us in the Linux community. Because what it lets us know is that is indicative of the future technology. That is indicative of the future of desktop software. Up in the latter half of the program, Ken Moore is going to join us. We're going to talk about the Lumina desktop. But first, we stop at our Linux Newswire newsroom with Eric, the IT guy. Here he is. From the Linux Newswire studio, this is the Weekly Roundup with Eric, the IT guy. Hey, Noah, happy to be with you this week. And here are your Linux and open source headlines. Unit 42, a division of Palo Alto Networks, disclosed a new Linux-based malware named Rock. Rock is a new evolution of malware designed to remove agent-based security products, prevent other malware from being installed via IP table rules, hide its running processes, set up a cron job, and in an unusual twist, removes crypto mining software before beginning to mine Monero itself. Unit 42 says Rock utilizes flaws in Apache Stress 2, Oracle WebLogic, or Adobe Cold Fusion. So far, Chinese-based Alibaba and Tencent have had their cloud infrastructure affected by this malware. No other attacks have been reported to date, but according to Unit 42 are expected to increase as this type of malware becomes more prevalent. After 15 years as a project, the 1.0 alpha for the cross-platform open-source vector editor Inkscape has been released. Support on, supported on Mac, Windows, and Linux, Inkscape handles SVG files. Inkscape is typically useful for logos, diagrams, and charts. Major features of 1.0 include improved high DPI support, increased PNG exporting, and an updated version of GTK+. While this version is only an alpha, the full version will be re released later on this year. Also of note, version 0.92.4 was released this week as a maintenance update, including bug fixes, improved printing support, and support for aligning multiple objects as a group. Canonical released Ubuntu Core 18 this week. Based off of Ubuntu 18.04 LTS, Ubuntu Core is Canonical's stable, secure offering for IoT devices. Core 18 comes with 10 years of support and a drastically reduced package list, which will greatly limit the attack service on IoT devices utilizing Ubuntu Core. Furthermore, Core is supported by Snapcraft, providing immutable, digitally signed Snap packages, which will allow the devices to be updated easily and safely over their lifetime. Google has been fined. Again. This time for $57 million for violations to the GDPR. CNIL, a French data protection authority, has been investigating the advertising giant since GDPR went into effect last spring. The conclusion to the investigation was that Google is, quote, not being clear enough about how user data is collected and subsequently used. The tech giant has not yet formally filed an appeal. However, this is not the first time Google has been fined under the new general data protection regulation passed in Europe. Google was charged a $5 billion fine last year for antitrust violations by its Android platform. 
Further updates on the story are still forthcoming, and it will be some time before the full implications of GDPR on global companies trying to do business in Europe is realized. But for now, for LinuxNewsWire.com, I am Eric, the IT guy. Now, Noah, back to you. Thank you, Eric. Our next update from Eric, the IT guy, will be next week at the bottom of the hour. Eric joins us every week to give us a weekly roundup on Linux news headlines, and we appreciate having them here. Now, my next guest this hour, Ken Moore. He is the senior developer for the Lumina desktop and a guest this hour on the Ask Noah show. Hey, Ken, welcome to the Ask Noah show. Hi, no, this is Ken Moore. Hey, good to have you. So um, I, it, we talked a little bit about the Lumina desktop back, I believe it was in July. But um, Yes, a little bit. But we did a very high-level overview. I guess let's start by just kind of resummarizing that. For anybody that's not familiar with the Lumina desktop, give me the 30-second elevator pitch. If they haven't heard of it before, what is Lumina? Okay, Lumina is a standalone or from scratch desktop environment using Fluxbox as the default window manager, although that can be swapped out with a few other ones. It's completely written in C++ using the Qt5 libraries for graphical effects and graphical things, but it's from scratch. It doesn't use any of the existing uh, toolkit support that comes from Linux, such as ConsoleKit or Dbus or Haldi or anything like that. Um, it was written primarily for the BSDs, but can easily be run on anything. Linux, BSD, I guess you could even run it on Solaris and some of the other things too if you wanted to. But I suppose that's the general overview of just what it is. So what, ha what happened was there was a bunch of really awesome people that decided they wanted to take the Lumina desktop and combine it with the power of BSD to create a desktop operating system specifically designed around uh, BSD, and that is Project Triton. Is that correct? Yes, that is correct. So give me... Uh, uh, Project Triton... Go ahead. No, that was what it was, was going to be my next question. So tell me a little bit about Project Triton. <laughs> okay. Project Triton, if you're familiar with the uh, TrueOS desktop from a while ago, um, TrueOS shifted their focus beginning of last year to focus more on the underpinnings of the operating system itself, specifically in fixing and making FreeBSD itself more available and less focusing on the uh, end-user applications like the desktop environment, like graphical utilities and other things and extra utilities. So they made that shift. So Project Trident was born out of that. Uh, it was created by myself and a few other people had worked on the TrueOS desktop conti to continue with the desktop focus for FreeBSD, but we to continue it as a distribution of TrueOS using their brand new distribution framework. Oops. So we, of course, picked Lumina mm -hmm. uh, as the desktop for that, and it's become the crux of the new operating system or distribution called Project Trident. We uh, we talked about again. We talked about Trident back in July. Why uh, why the six month delay? What uh, what have you guys been working on? <laughs> so originally, um, we were we've been working really closely with the TrueOS guys, and they had promised an eighteen oh six version of TrueOS called eighteen oh six stable. They tag their releases every six months. And they had promised that was going to be the first big release of the distribution system and that everything would work. And we, Project Trident was basically the first one on the block to actually run it and test it and stuff. 
and we found 1806 to be completely unusable. <laughs> really? <laughs> fair, they did a lot of work. It's a brand new framework, but there was so much still missing that basic things didn't work. You couldn't turn on services in the, in the ISO in order to make sure the mouse worked, things like that. It worked fine from a server perspective where all you were doing was, you know, one keyboard doing, you know, using dialogue and the arrow keys to do an installation. But the moment you needed to use a mouse or a graphics card, uh, things went completely sideways. They just hadn't even thought about that. So we worked really, really closely with the TrueOS guys. I sent in lots of patches and worked closely with them for the next several months after that actually on the TrueOS side of things. So we added all those extra bits to the distribution framework. We added all the options. We added all the ISO slimming options to the distribution framework as well. So that now with TrueOS 1812, the distribution system is ready to rock and roll. And Project Trident is the first proof of that with GhostBSD uh, following soon behind from what I understand. Very cool. That's very cool. And um, what are some of the changes that have come? I, you guys just did your latest release, is that correct? Yes, we just had our first release last week. Um, so it is based off of TrueOS's 18.12 stable branch. And we are getting ready to actually release update one for Project Trident tomorrow, which is part of our weekly update cycle for Project Trident. So what we do with that is we use the stable branch of TrueOS for the operating system, which in this case is 18.12 stable. But the way it works on FreeBSD is that the port tree or the applications all live in a completely separate repository from the base operating system. So we are keeping a stable operating system while we are weekly rolling updates to the ports tree or the application tree and rolling out new packages for every single third-party package. So tomorrow's update will be the first of those of update one for the 18.12 release, updating all of your web browsers, all of your graphical libraries. It'll even give you some new graphical driver updates, too. Those are included. How about the new bootloader that you guys have? <laughs> oh, that's yeah, that's special. Um, so that was another thing. So during that six-month period between 18.06 and 18.12, uh, not just on the TrueOS side and with us, but also on the FreeBSD side, there's been a lot of major infrastructure changes, one of them being that the entire bootloader for FreeBSD got changed. So originally wow. the bootloader for FreeBSD was written in force, and it worked reliably, but it wasn't expandable or something from what I understand. I'm, I'm not sure the exact reasons behind it, but they decided that they needed to have a new bootloader written in Lua instead of in force. And that would fix up a lot of the UEFI integrations. It would fix up just a whole lot of things that were still sitting in the queue waiting to get fixed in the fourth loader that nobody could either fix or nobody could find time to fix. With Lua, because it's a much easier language to script, I guess maybe they were hoping it would make it easier to implement all these because a lot more people could actually do the work. I'm not sure exactly, but... By and large, the end result is that in the middle of that release, FreeBSD switched to bootloader. So we were right at the forefront building, you know, pre-release versions of Project Trident, and all of a sudden we get a flurry of reports saying, hey, this doesn't boot anymore, or hey, I can't install anymore, or hey, what? And we was like, wait a minute, what happened? And that's when we discovered, oh, yeah, they switched to the default bootloader. <laughs> Man, that would be, uh, that would be rough so to be. It, that, that was a wild time. It sounds like it. Sounds like that would be rough. 
The uh, You talked about weekly updates, but I also understand that you have a new updater, both the command line updater and a graphical updater. Talk about that. Yes. So as part of my work with the TrueOS guys, we talked a lot about needing a new updater. For those of you that are not aware, let me just give you a quick bit of history. The update utility that we've typically used on TrueOS for the past you know, two plus years or whatever, is called TrueOS-Update. It is a completely shell-based script to just find the packages, load the packages, create a new boot environment, install them all in there, and do its thing. In order to make that work properly, there needed to be a lot of hacks, and the shell script for called TrueOS-Update kept getting bigger and bigger and bigger and hard to maintain, harder to maintain. So we've had a lot of discussion among the TrueOS team and myself about needing a better way to do updates that still gave us the ability to perform updates into new boot environments because that's where you get your safety with upgrades. If anything goes wrong, all you have to do is reboot your system to get back to the way it was before the update. Awesome. So it, it provides that failover mechanism that we needed and have had come to rely on. So there is a new utility that Chris Moore wrote for TrueOS. It's actually in the TrueOS uh, organization on GitHub right now called SysUp, S-Y-S-U-P. It is a complete updater for FreeBSD built around base, the base package system, which is new with FreeBSD. And it is completely written in Go as a static binary. We He had to pick the Go language because... As an updater, it has to be completely self-contained and standalone so that it updates things like libc, which almost everything will use one way or another, independent even from that. So, I think uh, I think we just lost you, Ken. Maybe you can give us a call back. That was, that was very interesting to hear what you were saying. Uh, we'll run to the phones real quick, 855-450-NOAA. That's 855-450-6624. We'll wait to get our guest Ken Moore back. Hey, Sam uh, from New York joins us. Hey, Sam, welcome to the Ask Noah Show. Hey, Noah, what's going on? How are you? Hey, pretty good. How you doing? I'm doing just fine. How can we help tonight? I was going to say, yeah, big fan of the show. Uh, I love your uh, presence on the Destination Linux show. Um, yeah, I have uh, a question regarding system administration. Uh yeah, I uh, work tech support in a, a software firm in New York. Um, I do a blog site on the side uh, called musicmag.net, and I also help out with Ubuntu OS with uh, Simon Quigley and uh, Walter and Fam. And uh, yeah, I have a question regarding uh, just open source projects. Uh, what, what are what are the best open source projects to get into, especially if we are considering like system administration and stuff like that, or even just you know the best commands to know. So, oh, that's great question. question. That's a great question. Yeah, that's one that we've not had before. Um, so what I would tell you, I, what I always tell people when they say they want to get into a given career, they want to get into a, a given line of work, what I always tell them to do is offer a sample of your services. Now, sometimes that's not always yeah. affordable to do. But one of the things that you can do is you might approach one of those projects and say, hey, you know what? Do you guys... Uh, do you guys need a, a server that you need administrated? Maybe if it's maybe it's a discord maybe it's a discourse server that they're using for their community form. Maybe it's a Mumble server. Mm -hmm. Maybe it's a Fabricator instance. Uh, maybe it's a GitLab instance. Is, is there anything that I can do? Do you need some help? Chances are every project has something that is they've got some resource that they use, and it's just kind of been pushed away. Now, one of the things that Simon 
who has taken over as director of operations for AltaSpeed, what he's actually done is he's come to me and in meetings said, hey, here is a project that needs some love and does not and does not have the resources to provide that love. Is AltaSpeed willing to step up and help? And so what we've done is we've just flat out given it to him and said, all right, you need a server to host X or you need a server to run Y. We will just hand you the server, hand you the disk space. Here's the IP address. And in certain cases, we've said, just tell us what you need, and we will even supply the administrators to get all of that stuff up and running. And I don't want to call any of those projects out by name, but because it's not not about patting myself on the back, it's just to say that we that's what we've done to enter that space is just say, yeah. here's, a, here's a sample of our service. Now, we do it for a slightly different reason. We're not trying to necessarily earn business. We just see a need, and we want to help, and we want to give back. But in your case, you know, if you used... Um, the uh, DigitalOcean code do.co slash dl, you could get a hundred dollar credit. That will provide a heck of a lot of uh, a heck of a lot of server infrastructure for a given project. It would be no money out of your pocket, and then they might look back over and say, "Hey, that Sam guy in New York, I mean, he does some amazing things. He ran that XYZ instance for us for for three months, and we didn't even have to pay for anything. You know, we could we could kick some money his way and and maybe hire him on as a as a remote sysadmin." That's the goal. All right. Thanks. Good idea. Awesome. Well, thanks for the question. I appreciate the time. Yeah, thanks, man. Again, one eight fifty five four fifty no. That's eight five five four five zero six six two four. The email live at asknoahshow.com. Ken Moore, my guest is sour, the lead developer for Project Trident. And uh he joins us again. Hey Ken, welcome back. <clears throat> oh, there you are. Okay. Wasn't sure I got reconnected. <laughs> yeah, apologies for the uh, apologies there. I, I'm not sure what happened, if it was my end or your end, but we had a phone disconnect. But uh, anyway, you were talking about Project Triton, and uh, I'm not sure exactly what the last thing uh, that you had said before it dropped, but we were talking about the new updater. Yeah, uh, the SysUp updater. Yes. Now it was written in Go and needed to be statically compiled so it can update things like libc without itself crashing out and bombing. So, yeah, so that work has pretty much all been done now on the TrueOS side, and we've been spearheading that. Well, not spearheading it, but Chris has been spearheading the development of that on the TrueOS side. And then on the Trident side, we have written a brand-new graphical utility that uses SysUp in the back end to provide complete end-to-end control of all system updates on your system. So it will... It's a user-based process that you can run when you log into your desktop. It's automatically set to start, and it'll just put a little cloud icon in your system tray, and that'll tell you the status of the system with regards to updates. And then if you click on that, it'll open up a window for it, which will show you not just if there are updates available or let you check for updates or anything like that. It'll also show you all of the boot environments and previous updates that you have done so that you can, with one click or two clicks, roll back and then reboot your system to switch back to an older system or delete old boot environments or do whatever you would need regarding update management. We also have a work in progress in there right now, which is not quite enabled yet. It'll probably get enabled not in, not tomorrow, but maybe the week after or the week after that, the next couple of weeks, to add ability to switch around between package repositories. So if you want to switch between the release branch of packages to some kind of development branch of packages and stuff, you can easily do that within the update manager as well. Talk to Do you ever see... Um, how do I want to phrase this? Do you ever see... Project Trident becoming a enterprise operating system, or do you see it uh, 
being an operating system for hobbyists and geeks? I would like to make it an enterprise operating system. Obviously, we're not there right now. We just had our first release. It's going to take a little bit getting up to there. But that, I think, is probably my end goal, is to make it something that anybody can run, not just hobbyists, not just people who know what they're doing, but people like my parents or people like your grandma or grandpa who only know how to use the mouse and click on a couple things like, oh, you know, that AOL Internet thing. I've had that conversation way too many times with people, um, you know, for even for people like that or for people at corporate um, cultures as well, where you just want to run workstations or universities where you just want to provide systems for students to be able to access X, Y, Z things. So I want to want it to be enterprisey enough to do all of that. The reason I ask, and I guess where my thought process goes with this is I know that there's going to be somebody out there that's listening to the interview and they go, well, BSD is not Linux, it's just a Linux knockoff and I don't really care. But the reality is that BSD technology, I mean, in all seriousness, has taken off in such a way when it comes to things like PSNs and when it comes to things like FreeNAS that they have established themselves as mm-hmm. the go-to industry standard, and that's based on BSD technologies. And so the question that I'm left with and where I come to with this, Ken, is if BSD can establish itself as a go-to industry leader in storage solutions and go to industry leader in routing and firewall and edge devices, how hard could it be or how much of a gap really is there to create an enterprise operating system for the desktop? Exactly. And that's my exact thoughts as well. It's like there has to be a little bit of work in order to make particular aspects of the operating system enterprise quality. And people have done that for the storage side. People have done that for the firewall side. I just think nobody's just stepped in to do that from the desktop side because the desktop side's probably the most complicated side to do that for because you have to juggle not only all of the firewall and storage side in the back end, but you need to manage the graphical system. You need to manage the applications. You need to manage the configuration of the system. There, there's a whole lot more aspects, but it kind of all comes together under the desktop heading. And all so of- that's kind of what we're tackling, and we're trying to do it piece by piece. We know we're not going to be able to do it all at once, but maybe we can work our way up there. And his and, – and so – the reality is all of those individual technology components you've already created or the BSD community has already created for one reason or another, right? Because jails have pre-existed yeah. containers in Linux for I don't know how many years. So a lot of that technology exactly. was started in BSD. Mm-hmm. Yeah, all the pieces are there. It's almost like somebody just needs to write the final administration glue to connect all the various pieces that were already created on the BSDs and run perfectly fine on the BSDs. They just need to make them easy enough for mom and pop to be able to use without actually using the command line. I think that's where most of the most of the uh, current technologies fail a little bit on the BSD side is nobody wants to take it that last step and make it easy to use. They just want to make it able to work. And it works well when they do that, but then you just somebody else has to come along and do that last step to make it easy. I agree. And I I think you guys are well on your way there. And I think you guys are doing an absolutely bang up job. Talk to me a little bit about Clang. What is Clang? And now what is the new changes that have been made to Clang? Well, Clang is the C-Lang compiler tool tool chain that comes from Apple. 
So that is what the BSDs, and particularly FreeBSD, use instead of GCC for compiling the operating system, compiling all the packages. So within the last six months, uh, FreeBSD just switched the default version of Clang from version 6.0, or six, Clang 60, is, or LLVM 60 is what the name of the package, to LLVM 70. So with that comes one of Clang's hallmarks, at least in my experience, is that it's much more strict about code quality. It's much more strict about correctness. It doesn't make a lot of assumptions and fill in the gaps like the GCC compiler does in my experience. So you have to deal with all the fallout from applications, from the OS, dealing with all these new types of things that the compiler is checking for and then erroring out on saying, oh, you're not technically allowed to do that. So it's just chasing down all those little things to fix them all. That's awesome. That's great. And uh, I understand there was some changes and updates to the Xorg and display system. Yes. So one of the things that we've been working on from the Project Trident side is we wanted to tackle Xorg setup right out of the bat, because that's always been one of the things where it's like, yes, you can set up Xorg, but now you got to go edit this file, then you got to go over here and add your user to this group, then you have to go over here and do, and then the list keeps going. There's a whole set of things you got to do. With Project Trident, we wanted to make that all automatic, end-to-end setup of Xorg with best driver selection and load modules that are needed for FreeBSD, the whole nine yards. So that was part of our first release, is that was the feature we really wanted to target for our first release of Project Trident, that the moment you install it, it will automatically select the best driver for your hardware, set it up in Xorg, automatically load any of the fonts you have installed into Xorg. It will go ahead and load any kernel modules that your driver needs. And then if that does still doesn't work for some reason, it even sets up a fallback xorg.conf and will load that in the fallback driver so you can still boot to a graphical system to use and modify and do whatever you need to. And uh, last but certainly not least, I understand that you guys did some work on inheriting and auditing the code for TrueOS. Now, you touched on that a little bit, that there was some work to be done to be finished up there before you could move on with your goals. Um, but how did that go? Yes. That actually went quite well. So we went through all of the various config files, all the various places where things have been placed. I mean, TrueOS was the continuation of PCBSD. So we had a lot of history there, a lot of old files that were put in place to fix, you know, problem XYZ that maybe wasn't around anymore, which might be causing more problems now. So we basically just did a full audit, end-to-end audit of every single file that uh, the desktop was installing that needed to be available, making sure that it worked with the current versions of Xorg and the current versions of FreeBSD, if it related to those systems, any other service files, end-to-end audit. So it's completely cleaned up. And you can really see that with Project Trident now. So when you actually run it, we've had a number of people say, hey, this seems to run about 10% faster than TrueOS desktop used to or PCBSD used to back in the day. And that's just because we've cleaned up everything. Ken Moore, he is the lead developer of Project Trident on Twitter, at Project Trident, and the guest this hour on the Ask Noah Show. Ken, thanks so much for taking the time to be here with us and explain this. I, I can't thank you enough for all of the work that you've done in bringing all of these technologies forward, bringing some competition to Linux. Maybe in the Linux camp right now, but this is certainly exciting stuff, and we definitely want to continue to follow it, and hopefully we'll get you back on the program and uh, we'll continue to follow the development of this exciting project. Thank you very much. Thank you for having me on and having a great time.
Yeah, appreciate it. Thanks for taking the time. 1-855-450-NOAH. That's 855-450-6624. The email, live at asknoahshow.com. Did you know that probably the most exciting thing about the Ask Noah Show to me, uh, and it was not something that I had intended to do or had intended to work on when we first started, but it was the organic community that has sprung up. We have made connections and I've made personal friendships with so many of these people that have joined the Telegram group, which is our Geek Lab. It's our 24-7, 365 Geek Hangout. You can join it at telegram.asknowashow.com. Of course, we're going to continue to try to build our IRC chat room that is hosted on Freenode, Pound Ask Noah Show. Make sure to join us there. Well, this week we did something kind of special. System 76, who's no stranger to focusing on the community and caring about the community reached out and said, listen, here's the thing you and the ask Noah show uh, have really centered around Linux and a community has sprung up and we are really proud of that. And we're really thankful that that happened. And uh, here's, we understand that without the community, we simply, we just wouldn't have a job here at system 76. Like we need a community of Linux users to create a market to buy the product that we're trying to make like that's who we that's who we care about that's who we serve and so if there's a large enough gathering of linux enthusiasts then we want to make sure that they understand that there is a company out there that is working to create a computer just for them and so as a thank you for the community no questions asked nothing needed in fact all of this i'm just telling you this it wasn't it wasn't part of the discussion at all uh, they said hey what we'd like to do is we would like to give something away to that group as you uh, as a congratulations to the to crossing the 1000th uh, threshold. And so this week, what we're going to do is we picked a winner for the uh, for the two hundred and fifty dollar gift card that's going to be given by System 76. We'll also be calling another the thousandth uh, the thousandth winner and the 1024 winner because there was a bit of a discrepancy inside of the group. We originally said that we were going to give a $25 Amazon gift card to the 1000th user. And uh, then a bunch of people in the group said, well, what about 1024? Like that's a huge nerd fail. So now we're going to do both. Okay. Cause we have to win. Uh, but so that's what we're going to do. We're going to see if we can get our contest winner for the 250 dollar gift card. Queen Bedazzle herself will join us on the Ask Noah show to congratulate him. Let's see if we can get him on the phone. Hello? Jake? Yeah. Hey, Jake, it's Noah from Ask Noah Show. How are you? I'm good, Noah. How are you? Doing all right. Hey, Jake, I want to introduce you to a good friend of mine, Emma Marshall from System76. Hey, Jake. How's it going? I'm good. How are you? Good. I um, just wanted to call and let you know the Ask Noah Show is giving away a $250 gift card for System76, and you won. Oh, thank you. Do you are you in the market for a new computer? Yeah, I actually am because uh, one of my older ones has been having problems. Uh, my uh, ThinkPad T four twenty. I was looking at one of their thin and lights. Um, I'm not really sure what the name of it was. Uh, the Galago uh, Pro. Yes. Well, we've got a, a handful of options. Um, the Galago Pro is our most portable one. Um, starts at eight ninety nine. And then we have another thin laptop, which is the Oryx Pro, if you need a more beefy machine with dedicated graphics. I don't need anything like that's uh, too GPU-intensive. Like, integrated graphics is just fine. Sounds like the Galago Pro is a good one to take a look at, then. 
Yeah, I'll definitely look at it. We also offer many desktop options based on the Intel Nook series. It is a customized version of that. It is one of our, our most popular little machines because it is such a powerhouse in such a small form factor. And then we also offer beefy servers for all of your database needs. Um, I'm really just leaning towards just like a laptop, just something lightweight that's just good for like uh office work, like, you know, like LibreOffice, you know, just like eBay, just like pretty much a lot of web browsing stuff. Like, I don't need something that's like too, uh, you know, powerful, just something that gets the stuff done, you know? I, I, I completely hear you, man. You know what? The great thing about System76 is they have laptops that will meet your needs no matter where they are in the power spectrum or in the budget spectrum. So, Emma Marshall, Jake, congratulations once again for the $250 gift card given to you by System76. We'll put you back on hold and get you in contact with System76. They'll take down your particulars, and uh, hopefully that lands you with a really nice brand new System76 laptop, a machine born to run Linux. Thank you again, you appreciate it, guys. Thank you so much. It means a lot to me. Yeah, you bet, man. one 450 noah That's 855-450-6624. Joey, Virginia. Hey, Joey, welcome to the Ask Noah Show. Hey, how's it going? Hey, pretty good. find out what, if any, type of KPI dashboard you use at also speed. Um, key performance indicator, you know, like financials and whatnot. Um, we don't have... Uh, yeah, I, I don't know that we have anything like that. Um, we use, we use, uh, uh, we've got a couple different things that we use for a, a dashboard-like stuff. For Obviously, we've got a dashboard that keeps track of, of server health and stuff like that. Uh, and then we've got a, actually a fabricator instance that's new as of 2019 that we're using to keep track of internal projects and discussion and stuff like that. Unfortunately, I'm not sure that we've got anything else as far as a, a company dashboard for finance uh, analytics? Okay. I'm uh, just curious. There's literally a hundred to pick from, so having trouble making up my mind. All right. Yeah. Hey, you know what? If you can, when you choose something, give me a call back because I would like to know. That's definitely something I'm interested. I would be interested in. It just at the moment, what we've what we've done is essentially paid accounting people to take care of that for us. Uh, so yeah, let me know, Joey. I appreciate it. And great question. One eight fifty five four fifty Noah. That's eight five five four five zero six six two four. The email live at asknoahshow dot com. We go to our community mumble room. We get a cu- couple questions in here. I guess we'll start with. Uh, is it Bruce? Yes. Hey, what's up? So. Um, I've gone. I go to conferences a few times a year, and uh, I've run into some situations where we have a couple of older laptops that were, you know, uh, ancient things that have things on, installed on them, and you know, we're too lazy to to put them on new machines, so they don't necessarily uh, operate on the the five gig bandwidth. So um, I have a DDWRT router that I've taken with me to these conferences, and I was trying to use the client bridge mode to see if I could um, basically give my laptops wired access to the um, the conference Wi-Fi through that DDWRT, and I, I saw a couple of how-to guides and step-by-step guides on DDWRT.com, but try as I might, I couldn't get it working. So I'm, I'm wondering if I'm barking up the wrong tree, or, or if something this is something that you know is possible, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. If you uh, if you've got even a fifty-dollar budget, there's a device made by TP-Link. It's a little looks like no bigger than a wall wart, and essentially has a single Ethernet jack, and it does exactly that. It is a wired access point client and so you point it at the access point you want you plug it into your laptop and now you've got a wired access to a wireless network i was also thinking maybe of doing um repeating wirelessly as well as wired i've i've used a device like that in the past um at a client site that was a netgear that did the same thing with a a device that did not do wireless at all 
But um, the reason I tried the DDWRT was also to try and make my own wireless network that was basically repeating um, uh, the, the conference wireless. So I think that's why I tried that rather than just uh, buying a device. Oh, sounds good. Well, hopefully that uh, hopefully that gets you there. I'll have a link for that other TP-Link device in the chat room. Echo, is, is it something I can answer in about 30 seconds? Oh, looks like she's not in there. That's fine. Well, we'll get you next week then, Echonis. Hey, you're listening to the Ask Noah Show. That puts this show in the books, but we'll be back next Tuesday at 6 p.m. Central. Huge thanks to Benner producer Sarah, our call screener. Uh, we'll see you next week. The Ask Noah Show continues. And uh, if you need any information in the meantime, make sure to head over to our website, asknoahshow.com. We're updating it all the time. More and more content available for you 24-7.